This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. The day of the Lord. Most of you that have been here for some time will know that we're going to Second Peter, the third chapter. Uh, but as we begin, it occurred to me while Jace was talking this morning, and I'm not going to get into Jace's topic. He did a fantastic job. But it occurred to me while he was talking this morning that this is the reason for God's plan for the family, that everybody might get to that day, that children might get to that day, that parents might get to that day, that husbands and wives, parents and grandparents might all get to that day. That's the reason God built the family the way he built it. That's the reason he put things in order the way he put things in order, that it might work perfectly as Jace laid out this morning to get us all to that day. Isn't that something? The day of the Lord. We've all considered the day of the Lord, and we don't know when that day will come. There are many, many writers in the Bible that speak of that day, and the one thing that we do know for sure is we don't know when that day will come. In our previous study, <clears throat> we... Uh, we saw some things that Peter said about certain people. He said that scoffers would be expected. Now, I found that interesting immediately. Scoffers, mockers, are to be expected, Peter said. But the day of the Lord, it's going to be hard to expect the day of the Lord. Isn't that interesting? He said that God's word is consistent. God's word doesn't change. God's word says that the day of the Lord will come. That's not going to change, no matter how much people scoff and mock at it. God is not affected by time. We know that we're affected by time. Time affects us greatly. It's hard for us to deal with. But time changes nothing for God. His expectations have always been the same, and they always will be the same, no matter how long it takes. And finally, we found that God is long-suffering. Now, some people look at God's long-suffering, and they say, well, he's, he's forgot, or he's, he's went to sleep. Well, no, it's long-suffering. He's not slack. He's promised that there's going to be a day of the Lord come. People think that he's just putting it off and putting it off and putting it. He's not putting it off for anything. He's waiting until he knows what the time is right. He's long-suffering. He wants everyone to be obedient. He wants everyone to repent. We're going to talk about that a little bit this evening. But these are the things we discovered last time. Scoffers are to be expected. God's word is consistent. God is not affected by time, and God is long-suffering. He is not slack. Now, the next thing I found real interesting is Peter goes from writing about these things into writing about the day of the Lord. 
Isn't that interesting? Some things that are going to affect mankind and cause mankind difficulty as he waits here on the earth, waiting on the day of the Lord. Now he's going to talk about it. Now he alludes to it in the third and the seventh chapter there of 2 Peter verse 3 when he says, But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved into fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. You might wonder why I've got the phrase by the same word highlighted there. What word? What, what same word? Well, if you remember back in chapter 2, Peter talked about how the word of God said that there was appointed a time when God was going to bring a flood upon the earth. That it repented him that he had made mankind. He was going to bring that flood on the earth and he was going to utterly destroy mankind. The word said that. Peter says that same word tells us that now the earth is kept and reserved until a day of judgment. Now God said he's not going to destroy the world by flood again, but he is going to destroy the world again. But right now, the same word that tells us that God's word is true, that God is not slack, the same word that said the flood was going to happen and the flood did happen, now says that the earth is being kept and reserved until a day of judgment. So Peter alludes to the coming of the day of the Lord. <clears throat> so now in verses 10 through 13 is what we're going to primarily consider this evening. Peter begins to describe in greater detail what's going to happen in that day, the day of our Lord's coming. And it's a, it's a day that Peter refers to as the day of the Lord. Now, there are many people today that will say there's a coming of Christ and a day of the Lord, and that they're two different things. The coming of Christ is going to be the day that Christ comes down to the earth and raptures souls back to heaven with him, but the earth is going to continue on. And then the day of the Lord is going to be a different day when Christ comes back again and pronounces judgment on all of mankind. The problem is that Peter uses these, these terms interchangeably. He doesn't distinguish between them. You know who else uses those terms interchangeably? The Apostle Paul. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. That's the day the Lord's coming back. Not multiple days, the day. Paul also said in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 4, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. Now, that's an interesting scripture. Have you ever stopped and read that scripture? But of the times and seasons, brethren, I have no need that I write unto you. What's, what's Paul saying there? You know this. You know this already. I don't need to write this to you. You know it. What do you know? For your, yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. You know this. It's not new. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, notice again, 
But ye, brethren, are not in darkness. You know this, that the day of the Lord should overtake you as a thief in the night. Paul's telling us about the coming of Christ. He's telling us about the day of the Lord. It's going to be one day. We don't know when, but it's coming. It's not going to be multiple days. And we'll see that a little bit more later on, I think. So Paul and Peter were of one mind concerning this topic, the day of the Lord. So now we turn our, our focus on the four verses that we want to consider in 2 Peter this evening. And I put all of these, all four of these verses up here. I know it's a little busy, but I, I wanted you to see all of these words in context, how closely they are compacted together. Peter was trying to make an impact on people here. He says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. What did Paul say? He said the same thing. In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Seeing then that all of these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hasting to... The coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. <coughs> so this is what I want to consider for a little while this evening. We're considering what, people, what Peter says is true about that day, the day of the Lord. So in order to begin that consideration, I want to go back to another event that happened not too, too long previous to this in which Peter was also present with the, all the rest of the apostles. And I want to see what was said about that day. And we go back to Acts chapter 1 beginning in verse 9. And the Bible says there, and when they, he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Stop there just for a minute. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that day? Can you imagine standing there with the Lord of Lords? The one you knew beyond any shadow of a doubt was the Messiah, Christ Jesus himself. And you're standing there and you're talking to him, or rather he's talking to you. And all of a sudden, can you imagine? What, what happens now? Is he gone forever? Is he coming back? I mean, can you imagine mouth open, you're staring up, hoping that if you stare long enough and look long enough and look hard enough, maybe you can see where he went. Maybe you will have some piece of knowledge about what just happened. Because right now you have no idea what happened. Peter was there that day. He saw those things. He knows exactly now I want you to focus in on verse 11. There's two men. They weren't there just a moment ago. Just a moment ago, Jesus was standing there. Now he's gone, but there's two other guys standing there. 
Where'd they come from? I'm sure I have no idea. Neither did they. But these two men had a message. A small, very brief message that was going to change everything. Two men standing by, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand you glazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, this guy that was just standing right here, that's now gone, you don't know where he went. This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. He's coming back just like that. Just like you've seen him go. Now that's a message that changes everything. Because we've got all of these arguments about how Jesus is coming back. Mankind has, has come up with all these ideas. Mankind's come up with this idea now that man himself is destroying the earth. Man may not be doing the earth any good, but he's not destroying it. Because the only one that can destroy it is the one that created it. Jesus is coming back in the same manner as these apostles saw him go. So that's, that's how Peter, what he's, the frame of reference that he has, that he's basing these writings that he, he's now writing out, that the Holy Spirit has, has given him the words to say, that's the frame of reference that he's using, what he knows about what happened uh, at Jesus' ascension. And you know what he knows? He says it will be unexpected. It will be unexpected. Peter said like a thief in the night. That's how the day of the Lord will be. Paul used the same expression in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 2. That the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Jesus used pretty much the same expression in Matthew 24, verses 42 through 44. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man coming. Now, Britt, if you know a thief is going to break into your home on a particular night, at a particular hour, are you going to go to bed and go to sleep? You're going to stay up all night if you have to, aren't you? You're going to watch. We understand that. We understand that if we knew when something was coming, then we would do something to change it. The thing of it is, we don't know when the day of the Lord is coming, so what do we do? Well, we prepare like God told us to prepare. But what Peter's focusing on right now is it will be unexpected. And you, can you imagine the millions upon millions of people that are somewhere right now on this day and they don't have a clue what's coming? They may not even want to know what's coming. It's going to overtake them like a thief in the night. <clears throat> no warning. But I want you to notice again what Paul said, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 4. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, 
You see, if you're one of God's children and you do your utmost to adhere to God's plan and you try, strive mightily every day to live according to God's will, you're not in darkness. You know this day's coming. So you prepare, don't you? And you're ready for that day. Not because we know what day it is. Not because we know what hour it is. Because we know that it's coming. In spite of what many people believe, we know that day's coming. Paul also said in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 6, Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. What's Britt going to do if he knows the thief is coming? He's going to watch. He's going to watch. He's going to be ready for him. And that's what the Christian has to do. That's what families have to do. We're responsible for one another. We're responsible beyond that for our congregation. We're responsible for each other. You know, I was told one time, I'm sure you've heard the same thing, it takes a village to raise a, a kid. I don't know if I've... I, there's a lot of people in the village I don't want raising my kid, so I don't know if I believe that. But it takes a family. And beyond that, it may take a congregation. You see, we can't do it on our own. We can't be prepared for the day of the Lord on our own. It takes us all. We have to be accountable to each other and then be accountable to God. Notice in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 3 what Jesus said to the church at Sardis. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If, thou, if therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. If you don't watch, if you don't prepare, then you'll be caught unexpectedly. <clears throat> he charged them to remember what they already knew. You've received it. You've heard it. You need to hold fast to it, and you need to repent. That's making preparation. That's making preparation for the day of the Lord. So the first thing that Peter tells us about the day of the Lord is that it will come unannounced. It's come as a thief in the night. We know we got to watch. We know we got to be prepared. But he also tells us that it will be catastrophic. And it will be catastrophic for many. <clears throat> the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. 2 Peter 3 verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. <clears throat> you know, I suppose that could mean the atmosphere. The heavens could mean the atmosphere as we know it, but I, I think it goes beyond that. We know that God created the universe. He created everything. I think everything's going to be burned up. I think everything's going to be destroyed when the Lord comes again. He's not going to leave any of it. He made it for mankind. When that day is over, he's going to burn it all up. 
The Bible says the heavens will pass away. Some other translations translate that disappear. Others yet translate it vanish. Just like Jesus ascended out of, from the earth back into heaven. He just vanished. And that's how some, tra uh, some translations translate this, this word pass away here. <clears throat> but it certainly suggests that Peter is descri describing a total destruction of the universe and not simply a purifying of it. You know, some people think if, if mankind was gone off of the earth, that the earth would be better off, that the earth would, would just flourish. The earth was made for mankind, not the other way around. <clears throat> he continues on there and he says <clears throat> that the elements will melt with fervent heat. Verse 12 also says the same phrase, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. I think this is what means that all of the elements of the universe, the sun, the moon, the stars, all of it's going to be melted with fervent heat. I want to look at that word just a, just a moment because I don't know if it, it uh, has the impact that w it should have. Uh, the word melt there in, in verse 10 is luo, which means to break up, destroy, dissolve, loose, melt, Put off, be dissolved. <clears throat> the uh, word there in verse 12, also our English word melt, is actually a different word. It's the Greek word tiko, which means to liquefy. Now, do you know of anything that is in a solid form that is changed into a liquid form that doesn't just vanish, so to speak. It's, it's not solid form. It's not useful as a solid form anymore. It's liquid form now. <clears throat> the Bible says that the earth and the works that are therein will be burned up. Back in verse 10, The earth also and the works that are therein will be burned up. Now, I found this phrase, the works, to be kind of interesting. I mean, when we think about the earth being burned up, doesn't that include everything? But special mention is meant made of the works here. So why, why is that specially signified? Well, Physically, everything will be burned up. But the thing we don't consider all the time is the spiritual, maybe emotional things. You know, there's a lot of works of men that are involved in emotional realms, even in spiritual realms. And if those things didn't come from God, then they're going to be burned up right along with everything else. There's not going to be any of that left. The evil works are going to be burned up. There's going to be no memory of them. Everything that is not of God is going to be burned up. That, that word, I can't pronounce it, but to be burned to the ground. 
that is consumed wholly, burned up utterly. Now you might be thinking, well, something that's burned to the ground, you know, that's not utterly destroyed like the ground is not utterly destroyed. But think of it in this term. If you've got a house and that house is burned to the ground, is there anything left of it? Is there anything that can be reused? Is there anything that can be used in the future? It's utterly burned up. It's gone. You could say it's vanished. It's dissolved. And that's what Peter says is going to happen to the earth and the works that are therein. So the day of the Lord, Peter says, will be truly an end uh, of the earth and the universe as we know it. <clears throat> so this makes a lot of people unhappy. A lot of people gnash their teeth when they hear these things. You can't believe that. That's, that's nonsense. But to the child of God, that's no reason to despair. That's no reason to be unhappy. Because we know from the will of God that that will accompany a new order. A new way of things being done. Something that's just. Not evil like today, but something that's pure. Something that's righteous. Look at Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Where all the evil works are now, where all the things that you hate, the things you despise, the things that cause pain and agony spiritually and physically, no more. Righteousness. That's what you're going to find there. There's righteousness. Doesn't sound so bad, does it? <clears throat> the Old Testament saints looked forward to that, even though they didn't ever get to see it. But they knew what was coming. Hebrews 11.10 says, Speaking of Abraham, For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He didn't live to see that. We may not either. We may. We don't know. But that's what he looked for. Hebrews 11 and 16, Speaking of the giants of faith there in Hebrews, But now they desire a better country. That is in heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city, a new city. And we get caught up a lot of times in this, in this language because the Bible talks about a new Jerusalem. And we, we don't know what that is, and we, we try to figure out what that is. Well, think about Jerusalem. And for all its faults and for all the faults of all the world, Jerusalem was a place to be during that time from a spiritual point of view. That's where everybody was supposed to come to worship God was Jerusalem. And the painstaking ways that they built that city and the glory in which it was, was projected, the beauty of it, Jerusalem was the best there was to offer so to say to these people, the new city, 
the heavenly city is is far better. Can you see how that would be hard for them to grasp? So the language used was it's a it's a new Jerusalem, it's a new city, it's a new Jerusalem better than the old one. How could it be any better? But that's what God said it was. It's a heavenly place. It's a heavenly city. <coughs> The New Testament saints were, were said to, to seek it. Hebrews 12 and 22. But ye are come to Mount Sinai and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You see the comparison? Heavenly Jerusalem and to the innumerable company of angels. Hebrews 13 and 14. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. So we're still looking for that day, looking for that city. This new heaven and new earth, this new city, this heavenly city, that's the final home of all those who are redeemed in the name of the Lord. That's our final destination. That's where we want to go. And we want to go there. We understand that we have a desire to go there because it's been promised. We look for this new place, this new, new heavens and new earth because of the promise. Which promise is that? Would it surprise you to know that Peter was the first person to write of this new heavens and new earth? Now Isaiah wrote of it back in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, Peter's the first person to write about these things. So when he says in verse 13, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, according to God's promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Peter's telling these people something they'd never heard before. He's bringing information to them that they've never had before. So knowing that this universe, this earth is not eternal. It's not forever. And that God will provide new heavens and a new earth in which the righteous will dwell. And, and that's the only thing that will be there is righteousness. A promise that will be fulfilled on the day of the Lord. Why would we not look forward to that? Why would we not be overjoyed at the thought of that day? So what, does, what effect does that have on us? Well, it should cause us to desire, to have a desire for godly living, to desire to live in such a way that we get to see that new city, that new heaven, new earth, that place that God has prepared for his children. Knowing all of that, knowing the promise, that ought to have us... Uh, I ought to create a desire within us to see all those things. So again, in, in verse 11, Peter appears to make a, to ask a question, but it's actually a statement. And that is, seeing then that all these things, what, what things? That the earth is going to be burned up, that the universe is going to disappear, be dissolved, and that a new place is going to be going to be created, seeing then that all of these things shall be dissolved, 
What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? A question. So if you believe these things are true, you trust in God that these things are true, what kind of person ought you to be? That's, that's a rhetorical question because we know what kind of person God expects us to be. But Peter's just asking in the question here to remind them, to cause them to think, how are you going to live if you truly believe all of these things are going to occur? Everything may we will acquire in this life is going to be dissolved. All our wealth, our fame, personal relationships, it's all going to be gone. And the only thing that has promise of life to come is godliness. So if you want something beyond this life, godliness is the only thing that can offer it to you. The godly family, as Jace spoke of this morning, is the only thing that can get you there when you're all pulling in the same direction. <clears throat> 1 Timothy 4 and verse 8, the Bible says, For, godly, for bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness, godliness, godliness is profitable unto all things. Godliness is profitable for you in this life, and more importantly than that, godliness is profitable for you in the life hereafter because you're not going to get to see it unless you're living a godly life. You live a godly life in this life and it will avoid many of the pitfalls that we see in this old evil world. You'll stay away from those things. You'll avoid those things. But more importantly, it'll get you to that home in heaven, that home everlasting. <clears throat> I want you to notice something about a Christian's holy conduct. 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19, the Bible says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. So, if you don't resist being high-minded, you won't be warned of that. And if you don't resist giving in to all the riches of the world, and if you refuse to be rich in good works, and you refuse to distribute to those who need, and you refuse to communicate, to teach, to help teach those who need to be taught, what do you expect? What do you expect to gain? Does that sound like you're supposed to just obey the gospel and sit back and say, here I am, Lord. Come get me in all my glory. You owe it to me because I was obedient to you in baptism. The work just begins. The work just begins. If we're not willing to do these things, to put great effort into these things, to lay up and store for ourselves a good foundation against the time to come, then we're not worth it to God. 
But Peter says something else. Very interesting. He says in, in verse 12, looking for and hasting to the coming of the day of God. Now, I suppose we all understand what looking for means. Uh, obviously, it, uh, it means that we should, we should be preparing for that day. We should be looking forward to that day, looking toward that day, and preparing ourselves for that day. <clears throat> if we look for a new heavens and a new earth, certainly we're looking for the coming of the day of the Lord. But Peter says something else. Hasting and two. What's he talking about? We know what looking for is, but what's hasting to? That, that sounds like something that might be a little foreign to us. The Greek word for that phrase is speed, steady. That is, urge on diligently or earnestly by implication to await eagerly, make with haste and to. Now, we, we understand this part, to await eagerly. And what about the rest of it? Let me ask you a question. Is there any way that we as human beings, as mankind, even being children of God, Christians, is there any way that we can speed up the coming of the Lord? Now, don't, don't get the hangman loose out yet. Bear with me a minute. What if every soul on the earth right now was repentant and righteous would there be any reason for the Lord to delay any longer if everyone on the earth right now was one of his children would there be any reason for a delay or would he come well you, that's, that's a stupid ob observation because that can't happen well Jesus told the apostles, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Every creature. You want, the, you want Jesus to come back sooner? You want him to come back quicker? I guess you better get to work. I guess you better preach the gospel. You know, Jesus was the one that came to this earth and died on the cross for our sins that we might be at one with God. God is the one that promises eternal life. But he left the expansion of the kingdom and the preaching of the gospel to us. That's our job. That's our responsibility. If you want the Lord to come quicker, I guess you better get busy. And I had too. I just want you, I wanted you to consider that in light of what we think our responsibility is to God. <clears throat> so as we wind this up this evening, I uh, want to encourage you to, to remember what Peter talked about uh, concerning the day of the Lord. According to Peter, the day of the Lord is a day that will be unexpected. 
but it won't be unprepared for if you're a Christian and you're doing the will of God. It's a day that will be catastrophic for many. So I ask you, will it be catastrophic for you? A day that will usher in a new order, will you be part of that? Will you be ready for that day? A day that we should look forward to and do everything we can do to hasten to, to speed up toward. Are you willing to do that? Now, there are some things, some, some events that Peter doesn't describe. There in the, the third chapter, he doesn't say anything about the resurrection. Although I think you can obviously see it's inferred from the things he does teach. He says very little about the judgment. But we know that that's an important part too. But what he does say, I think, should adequately motivate us to do our very best to live our lives, to involve our families and make sure they live their lives in a way that will get us to that day. Get us to that day of the Lord without trepidation. Get us to that day of the Lord knowing that it's a good thing. How are you going to respond? When you hear these, these teachings of, of Peter, these words that he's written for the admonition of those people in that day and for the admonition of us today, how are you going to respond? Peter said we should expect people to mock and scoff. Are we going to be the ones that do that? Many people ignore them. They say, well, maybe I'll have more time in the future. I just don't have the time right now. But then some humbly heed them. They respond to them. And they make the necessary changes. You know, I suppose that these are the three ways that mankind has always responded to the preaching of the gospel. We either laugh at it, scoff at it, Ignore it. I don't want to listen to that. Or we do. We do want to listen to it. We heed it. And we respond to it. Acts chapter 17, verse 30 through 31, as we close. In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath pointed into a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness, by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. The days of being ignorant, and we always think that just means we don't know, but there are many people that do know, they just ignore it. That's, that's being ignorant as well. The days of Jesus, of God accepting that, it's over. He doesn't accept it anymore. The days of putting it off are dangerous and likely to end badly. The only day that we need to concern ourselves with is responding to God's word. How will you respond to see? Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com. 
or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.